Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the beautiful game podcast as ever i'm your host budge joined by my faithful two co-conspirators dot and dej boys how are we doing yo budge i'm all right how are you bro yeah not doing too bad not doing too bad keeping myself busy as ever you know um but but yeah no we're good how, how about you dej how you doing yeah i'm doing very well obviously i'm used to this quarantine period now yeah, yeah, so obviously yeah. we're just doing pods so keeping healthy keeping busy keeping fit so yeah how are you doing yeah, man, not too bad. Uh, same, keeping fit. Um, started uh, Insanity um, this okay. week with, uh, with, with the family, so that's, that's all good, of course. The, the one positive from, from this quarantine period is, is, is of course, the, that we can spend a lot more time with our loved ones and whatnot. So, um, so doing a lot of that, keeping, keeping busy, trying to shift uh, some of the timber <laughs> from my stomach. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we are also joined by a very special guest on the uh, pod today. Um, he is currently the assistant manager at League Two side Stevenage. He was uh, the head of Swansea's Centre of Excellence from 2007 to 2009, whilst the club was under the management of a certain Roberto Martinez. He most recently, between 2013 and 2017, was the manager of uh, England's women's team. And so without further ado, we welcome Mark Sampson to the platform. Welcome, 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 welcome Mark. Mark. Welcome, Thanks, Mark. Dench. Thank you for the invitation. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, no, no. Good luck you, with sanity, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not for the faint heart, I assure you. I mean, the first couple of uh, sessions are really, uh, yeah, put me through my paces. Uh, so I'm hoping that it gets a bit better as I as I go along. No, it doesn't, I can assure you. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it lasted about four days. Goodness me, goodness me. Right. Okay, so we are, of course, raring to go. Um, you know, we, we, we uh, had a bit of a warm-up before we, we went live, and now we're, we're ready to kick things off. So, again, just wanted to, to thank you, Mark, for, for jumping on the platform to, to have a word with us. Right. Um, so we're, we're going to kick things off um, and, and chat about your career. 
and where we wanted to start. So obviously, you know, you're in terms of uh, sort of management, you, you, you know, you're still <coughs> fairly young and, and, and in the, the sort of the early years of your career, shall I say. And, and even in this, in this short space of time, you've managed to achieve quite a bit. Um, and and I, I guess you've been fortunate in, in the fact that you've had the opportunity to work both with uh, males and females um, in, in, the, in the academies that you've played, uh, it, with, that you've, um, you've coached at and, what, and whatnot. And I guess the first question I wanted to ask you is, what are the key differences that you've observed in, in, in the time that you've spent working with, with both genders? What are the differences in, in, in the game, in, 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 in the way that they like to be managed, in, in the facilities and that kind of thing um, between, between the two? Mm. No, this, this question is probably quite a, a regular question for coaches who worked across both the men's and the women's game. And I think the basic differences are always going to be there. The, obviously, the physical differences in terms of the speed and the power output. You know, the game, the women's game is never going to be as quick as the men's game. And then there's also the facility and the funding and the finance difference. Mm. And, and again, there's, there's a, a big disparity between the money that goes into women's game and the money that goes into men's game. Your know, men's game has been going over a hundred years. Women's game has it started a long way back. Men's game has got a big head start. So it'll take time, but you know, that gap is closing. But in terms of the actual, the sport and the, and the players and the people you work with, I, I'd say there's very little difference. I've had, significant challenges in the men's game with working with players and some significant challenges working in the women's game with players and also being fortunate the majority of players I work with have been great people so I think the challenges are there you know you've got to find a way as a manager and a coach to to get the best out of people to build connections and try and make them better every day and if you do that you're successful and if you don't you're not so Mark, just take us, you know, back to the very beginning. How did you fall in love with the game? Oh, that's a long way back. Um, <laughs> do you know what? I think uh, just playing it for the first time, to be honest. I think um, I, I was never a fantastic footballer. I'm not sure I ever at any point harboured ambitions to be professional other than, uh, you know, watching the FA Cup final and, and that dream that everyone had. But, you know, you're, you're realistic from a young age, aren't you? you know, what level you can and can't get to. But from the moment I started playing, you know, it, all my friends are from within football. All my great relationships I've built are from within football. It's, it's a sport that has given me so much. And I've been privileged for a long time to be paid to work in the game. But if I wasn't paid to work in it, I'd be playing on a Saturday or a Sunday to this day. I'd be coaching young people in midweek. I'd be watching games on a Saturday with my, my family and my friends. It's just a game that brings people together and... You know, ever since I started playing, I wanted to be involved because my friends got involved. And that's always been a, something that's been underpinning my philosophy from day one, really. Yeah, so in 2007, obviously you went to Swansea. Uh, Roberto Martinez was the manager, as Budge mentioned. Mm -hmm. So what imprint did he have on you from a philosophy standpoint? Um, Roberto, Roberto was probably the first... I, I was never a professional player. So I'd never been around a professional club or a professional manager. You know, my experiences as managers as a senior player were, you know, you, you, you get a telling off at the start, you get a telling off at half-time, and if you made the 90 minutes, you get another one. Um, but Roberto was the first, other than Kenny I didn't work with for long, was the first manager that I got a chance to spend a bit of time with. And I, I, he was fantastic, I've got to be honest. I, I, he was one of those people where 
you can't even describe the skill, but when they walk into a room, they just had an aura. They just had something about them that you just sat back and went, oh, I want to listen to this person and, and what's going to happen now? What, what limelight, what information, what something is he going to give me to make me a better person today? So I, I haven't got a bad word to say about him. I thought he was outstanding in everything from his, his coaching, from how you work with the players, his clarity, his philosophy. And don't forget his bravery at that level. Like Swansea were in League One at the time. Mm. You know, and, and lads who had been told every time you get it, you put it in that area. Don't even think about passing it. You know, a month later, we're playing like Barcelona. <laughs> Same players. It was just incredible to see mentalities and mindset set, shape, change and shift. And how when, when you can get a bit of confidence and belief in you, you realise that actually these are skills I've always had but I've never had the capacity to use. So I love my experience and I thought he was outstanding and really happy to see what he's done since. And I'm sure he'll go on to bigger and better things again. You know, I was going to, um, I wanted to ask you, Mark, um, of course there are loads of different uh, coaching and management styles, um, uh, you know, across the board. And you see some um, coaches and managers are very much directional and, 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 you know, barking out orders and whatnot. Others like to get involved in, 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 in the training sessions and, and, and immerse themselves as much as possible. I guess I wanted to ask you, how important is it for a coach to be fit? Um, and, 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 you know, is, is it really, really important for a coach to, to be as involved as, as they possibly can be? Or, you know, is it just a, a case that, you know, different styles work for different groups of players? Yeah, I mean, you're asking the wrong man if you're asking about physically fit. Um, <laughs> my, my insanity experience, you know. <laughs> uh, probably the fittest I've been in 10 years at the moment. We're all uh, chasing the little girl on the scooter at the moment. <laughs> but, um, no, I think it's more a, a psychological thing and a, um, a role model to the players, isn't it? That you know, You're willing to, to be a professional in every aspect of your life. I don't feel very comfortable as a leader asking someone to do something which you wouldn't be willing to do yourself. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, do, do your work to keep yourself fit, recover right, get the right amount of sleep, have the right diet. You know, of course, I, I don't proclaim to be a professional athlete, but I think you can follow certain guidelines. And like anything, isn't it? If you're the leader and you're, it's you say, but I do, I say, but I do what I want. I'm never sure that's a good way to create a good culture. Mark, moving on, you know, you went to Bristol um, and you spent four years there from 2009 to 2013. Take us through your time at Bristol. Yeah, I mean, it was a, that was another great experience, really. It was um, a shot in the dark, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. I'd been, uh, I think I was about 20, how old would I have been at the time? Um, 2009, 26, 27, um, 26, I think I was. But I just felt I wanted the experience to be a manager. I'd sort of dipped my toe in at um, semi-pro level in the men's game. So while I was working at Swansea, I was doing a bit. The club I finished playing for, if I'm honest, I wasn't good enough to get the team anymore. So the only way I could get around it was to, I'll, I'll do a bit of coaching. Um, so I started dipping my toe in. And when I became a manager, even at that level, um, semi-professional, I, I loved it. I loved the, the pressure, the when you're not the manager you're not the person making the final call you're following another person 
side. I just looked at the side. I've had a really bad haircut. It was self-imposed, so apologies. <laughs> then, then when, when I had the opportunity then at, at Bristol to actually go in, in a different program, uh, felt that was the thing to do, to give it a go. And, you know, it was just an unbelievable ride, really, in terms of the success we achieved. Players, community club, the stuff. it's just one of those periods where everyone just clicks and it all fell together and we um, we achieved some amazing things with what we had, like lowest budget in the league, nearly winning it, getting the Champions League twice, FA Cup finals. It was just, at times you're thinking, I don't know how we're doing this, but, but we are. Um, but it was just a great group of people in the same place at the same time. Yeah, so Mark, that obviously led to um, England knocking on the door. You know, for any manager, coaching the national team is probably the pinnacle of the sport. So how was that moment when you found out that you were getting the England job? It wasn't one of those processes where I was headhunted. It was a full application where I applied, um, went through numerous interviews and difficult challenges to get the job. So when they finally put it on the table, it's just, I'm honest, it was, it was a real shock. I put my name in the hat, never expecting to get the job. Um, and then when it came around, you just think, wow, you've, you've actually got to do this now. Um, and I was only 30 at the time. And, you know, it, it was a young age really to jump into international management, but I felt this opportunity might never come around again. So now's the time to have a go. Just on that, um, Mark, I wanted to ask, do you feel, looking back now at that point in time that you were appointed, do you feel that there's anything that you could have done to have prepared you in a better way to take on that role? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I think that's a fair comment, to be honest. When I, when I reflect back, um, I just come off the back, really, of five years of success. I, you know, I, like I said, I managed to create an environment where we, we had a great group of people and we were punching well above our weight. And I suppose you feel a bit invincible, really, that, you know, well, it's not easy, but so far what I've done, we've, we've done all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of those ones where it's easy in hindsight when you look back. I think it was more the, the football side of it was, was fantastic. Um, I felt I was ready for that. But when you take the England job, women's or men's, obviously women's to a lesser scale, there's so many other things that, that come with it that, if I'm honest, only experience can you prepare you for that. Um, and, and that, in hindsight, was probably something that I wasn't ready for mm. um, and learn on the job. But now you look back and think, well, yeah, they, they were tough lessons at times to learn, but hugely valuable lessons, not just as a manager moving forward and a coach, but as a dad, as a partner, as a human being. But you, know, you, you have to learn sometimes the hard way and, that's what life is about. I feel anyway, is that you, you do your best, you do the right thing, you, you try and be a good person. And when you, when you can't get things right, you need to learn and improve yourself and hope for your better in the future as a result. So Mark, let's you know, address um, the elephant in the room. What, what actually happened with um, Eniola Aluko? Well, I think, look, it's obviously well documented, the, the situation and, and the story and... Yeah, there, there's a lot that went on that um, was reported and, and, and wasn't. Um, and, and, and it was a very difficult time, you know, not just for the people involved, 
um, but the families, the extended families, the friends, the team. Uh, and I think while I personally showed a huge sense of, of responsibility and, and regret, you know, you also look at it and, and feel that the situation could have been handled a lot better um, from, from people above my pay grade, really, at the time to make sure that everyone was able to move on in a way that gave them a chance to move on. Um, so I look back at it with, with obviously huge regret because, as I said before, is that, you know, as, as a young man, but that's no excuse. You, you try your best. Your, your intentions are always good. But sometimes you don't get that wrong and you get that wrong. And as, as a result now, I've had a chance to reflect and look back and, and learn things, if I'm honest, I would never have learned. I would never have put myself in a situation to, to ask the questions I've had to ask myself or, or speak to people who I probably wouldn't have spoken to about certain situations. Mm. Um, so it, it was a difficult time, you know, for the extended family in the main. You, you look at it and think any, anyone else involved in her side of family or friends and even myself, personally, my family, you know you're having a huge, huge effect on people you love when you're on the front page of newspapers on a daily basis at times. So, yeah, I look back with huge regret, but, you know, reflect that it was a valuable experience. I wasn't the person or the man I wanted to be then. And sometimes you've got to go through those tough experiences to get where you want to get. Mm. Yeah, so Mark, um, obviously you had a lot of success with England. You fostered like a good dressing room ambience. There was a lot of the slogans, you know, to get the team on side. When you look at it, Drew Spence and Enya Luko, subsequently, they've gone through a lot of trauma. Like you can see them in the press. They've had outcryings of emotions and you can see that this experience still haunts them. So looking back now, what would you have done differently in the situation? That's a very good question. No, I think those, those type of feelings will always be there for everyone involved. It was, um, it was at the time, a situation that was not just being played out on a personal level, but on a national level. And the way I describe it is that when, when you go through a difficult period, and that was a difficult period, a very difficult period for both Andy and Drew, is that it's, it's very difficult in any circumstance, whether that's just between you and your employer you and your friend, you and a family member. But when every little detail is being played out for the whole world to read, and these days comments on, have an opinion on, it's a very, very difficult situation. So when I look back, like I said, I think there's situations where you wish you'd handled better. Um, and ultimately, the, the, the word is empathy. It's just having that feeling of, that. you know what, actually, you might feel a certain way at a certain time, but just because you might disagree with something doesn't mean someone else is wrong. And when you're involved in a highly emotional situation, sometimes you make bad emotional calls and think I was definitely guilty of that. So obviously, you know, the, the comments um, that you made were about, um, you know, Eniola's parents and bringing Ebola um, to, to the game. So looking back, why do you think you made those comments? I mean, look, it's, it's difficult for me to talk about in relation to details because of all that's gone on, both from a legal and a, a perspective of, of where we all sit today. But as I said earlier, is that when you go through experiences, especially difficult ones, um, and it affects so many people, not just yourself, that you do have to take responsibility to go, well, what, why wasn't I aware of, of certain things? Why, why didn't I understand 
the implications of though the intention was was positive and, and, and good and healthy and in, in, in the intent to help and support someone, clearly that wasn't the case. And I think, you know, you, you learn then about things that you just, just had no knowledge of. I mean, there's a lot of things as, as the person I am, I, I will never experience. Um, but opening my eyes to other things that people will experience and other situations people will go through and, and some unconscious thoughts you have that you're just not aware of. And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that to challenge those thoughts, those unconscious potential prejudices or biases you may have is that just, just take your time, just, you know, have a think about what you want to say, what you're trying to say. And although the intention is positive, you know, there's two people involved in communication. There's a, someone giving information, someone receiving information. So I think those experiences have, have put me in a position where I took it upon myself to go and get some more experience myself to educate myself more and try and understand more about not just for me, but how can I be a better person in society? I can, how can I contribute to challenges and issues that people will have that I just never will? As you mentioned, it was sort of like a trial by media. There was that famous game where England won 6-0 and the <clears> team <throat> ran towards you as if to show like a group of solidarity. Mm. They're with you. They're behind you. Could you explain how that moment felt? And at that moment then, did you know that you were going to lose your job? I mean, the answer to the last part is no. I think there was, um, you know, at the time there was um, some real clarity about where we were going or where we were moving forward and next steps. And none of those involved being dismissed in the near future. Um, so, but I think, you know, when I look at that moment is that it's important to distinguish between you don't know what you don't know, which is a phrase I've used a lot in the past and, and, and will continue to use. I use it with my young daughter now. And, you know, the, the comments that were uh, brought about myself and, and then I was obviously found guilty of and lost my position as a result and, and everything that's come with that were, were private conversations. And, and at the time, no one else was aware of what that conversation involved other than me and the person who had been involved in the conversation. So I think everyone looks back and, and thinks that whole situation could and should have been handled a lot better. But it was an incredibly highly charged emotional moment. And, and everyone, I know for a fact, the intention from everyone was to do the right thing and try and make sure that everyone could move on um, from that situation in a positive manner. But everything in life is easy in hindsight. Mm. So, so, you know, going forward, what, you know, actions did you take to educate yourself? I believe you took a six-week um, kick-it-out training course. So what have you done to enrich, you know, your perspective on, on, on things like this? I think first and foremost, they kick it out were fantastic. They, um, at the time, uh, they were chaired by a gentleman by the name of Lord Herman Owsley and he was, he was brilliant. Um, I, I'd never, during the whole process, I, I was cut away from speaking with anyone really. My, my responsibility was to my employer at the time. So I, I'd engaged with them, but no one else. So you're obviously reading comments and uh, views from other people outside, but you're not getting the chance to speak to people direct about the person and, and your perspective of the situation. So I reached, he was the first person I reached out to really. I picked up the phone, um, or sorry, sent an email and just asked if we could sit down. And he was kind enough to invite me to the um, House of Commons actually. 
uh, where we just, we, it was due to have a 15 minute lunch, but we ended up having two or three hours together, really talking about not just this situation, but um, the challenges that his organization were facing in the modern day game. And th these were things I'd never heard before. I, I, I can't lie about that. I, I just hadn't heard about it. And obviously you, you're aware of it and you think about it, but you know, it's probably quite shameful to say that in all my time in football, I'm not sure I've ever been part of a formal education procedure in relation to um, discrimination. I, I haven't, you know, whether that's work in any organization, there just hasn't been any formal education or conversation. It, it was just an issue that everyone was aware was happening, but there was never an open dialogue or a conversation. So that was the first time really I'd had that open dialogue and conversation, had my eyes open to yeah, some significant challenges as a, as a game and a society we face. And then I enrolled on the course and spent some time with junior clubs and uh, young people in areas that I, had, I hadn't been to before, um, which was just an enriching, fantastic experience. And not from a football point of view, from a, from a human being point of view. And, and now I, I, I'm a father now. And I think my, my responsibility now is not just to me and my family, but mm. I feel to educate the people I work with. And, and I, I've taken that responsibility very seriously. I'm, I'm at a football club now, a new club where I want to open that dialogue and make sure that people feel comfortable to discuss issues that maybe aren't very comfortable discussing. Mark, final one from me on this topic is, what do you say to the people that are saying, I'm not going to forgive Mark? Oh, look, I, I think in, in life you have to realise that there are um, three types of people. There are people who agree, People who always disagree and people will sit on the fence. And um, I, I've had to accept for a long time, not just through this situation, but for a long time before, once I put myself in a position that you're in the public limelight, that people will criticise and whatever, whatever you do or try to do, they won't agree. Um, my responsibility now is to be the best person I can be on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. And if people choose not to forgive, then I understand that. I've put myself in a position where they have every right to do that. I feel I'm a, I'm a defender who's dived in the box and if the referee gives a penalty, he gives a penalty. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, but my, my career, my life has had to adapt and evolve. Um, in many ways, that's been a good thing. But in other ways, it's hugely challenging, you know, not just mm. my family, but also personally, psychologically, emotionally, those type of things are still challenges. But I think I learned a long time ago to pretty much only acknowledge the opinions of the people I care about. Yeah, 100%. And, and just on, on that um, subject as well, Mark, I wanted to ask, since then, you know, it, it's, it's been um, uh, a little while since the incident, um, have you had an opportunity to speak to Drew or, or any? And, and if you haven't, um, and you were given the opportunity to speak to them, what would, what would you say? Yeah, it's a very good question again. And I think... Unfortunately, given the nature of the, the way in which everything happened, um, there was so much legal ramifications and contractual obligations that a lot of that got in the way from the yeah. human side. And I think one of my biggest regrets is right from the outset, there wasn't a, 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 level, a conversation on a human level. Mm. Um, I look back on, and, and when the information first come in and the allegations first come in, 
that there wasn't the opportunity to sit down in the room with someone who I'd worked with for two and a half years, spent you know over over a over probably a hundred camps with um, to discuss why they felt in one way and I felt in a very different way, and 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 ultimately that became a real issue for me because I could never understand where the other person was coming from. And as a result, the relationship become more and more fractious and more and more difficult. And I think it became more difficult to find a resolution. So in hindsight, that's something I'd love to go back and change. Um, at that moment in time, forget previous, I talked about earlier, is, that, is just to have that opportunity to have a, a conversation at a human level. Mm. And, and ultimately now, I genuinely wish them all the very best. Um, you know, I, I came out and apologized and when, when I felt the time was right, when the dust was settled. Um, I didn't feel it was appropriate to, to reach out personally. I think given I put them in a very difficult situation, um, their reaction to me reaching out, I, 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 I couldn't be certain of whether it be positive or negative. I didn't feel it was right for me, wrongly or rightly, to put them in that situation again, given what had happened. But I wanted to recognize publicly that I'd, I, I apologize and in hindsight, there's mistakes I made and over the course of the whole procedure, there's a lot of mistakes that were made and wow, I wish I'd go back in time and, and a lot of people's lives wouldn't have changed as, as much as they have, mm. but I can't. So like I said, genuinely now I wish them all the very best. They're two incredibly talented young people and I'm sure they've got great Drew as a footballer and any whatever choose, she chooses to do next, successful careers ahead of them. Yeah, so Mark, um, in your spell at England, you took them ranked from 20th in the world to third. So how did you go about changing the mindset and the dynamic of the, of the team? Yeah, it's, um, it, it was, again, it was just one of those situations where you get a really good group of people together and you, you find that magic formula of a, of a culture where people really wanted to be successful. And the, the biggest strength of that team was that they just never gave up. Whatever the circumstances, they, they kept going. And, and they were desperate to do well for themselves and their country. And, and we, we got on a really good run, really, that we, we challenged some of the mindsets that had been there previously, some of the limiters that were there, the feeling that, you know, we, we, we're going to compete, we'll do our best to get out of a group. And we, we challenged that and said, you know, what, What's wrong with saying we want to win? What's wrong with uh, setting our sights on winning a World Cup? Why can't we do that? You know, the Americans have got 11 players. The Germans have got 11 players. So have we. And I think challenging those mindsets and the players and the staff buying into that gave us a great opportunity. And we, we were fantastic at uh, a World Cup in 2015. To finish third, that World Cup is just a monumental achievement. We went in there as the 13th best team written off with no hope of even getting out the group to finish third was unbelievable. And then to back that up with wins in the States, beating Germany, beating France, and then getting to another semi-final was just something you probably never dreamt would happen when we first got the job. But the players were brilliant. They really were. The staff were brilliant. And you know, like I said, I think everyone just gave it a right good go. And we, uh, we were lucky enough to get a bit of luck when we needed it. Um, and that culture saw us through, that never-say-die never mentality. You know what I wanted to ask, um, Mark, is, is basically, uh, you know, what you're, you're, you're speaking about now in terms of, you know, that, that lofty achievement of, 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 of coming third place. Over the duration of that 
tournament, did your perspective change in the sense that now you can obviously look back and, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge achievement. When you, you know, when you lost that game, was, was, the, was there that, that feeling like, you know, we could have gone further, we could have got there, we could have done better. And, you know, over, over the course of the, the tournament, did it change? Were you initially going there as like, you know, underdogs and it was like, you know, whatever, whatever happens, happens. And then as you sort of progress throughout the tournament, you're like, well, hang on, we could actually win this. What was, what was, what was that like in, in, in the dressing room? Well, I think we, we challenged our mindset from the outset and, and it sounds strange, but I'm, I'm a big believer that if you, if you keep repeating something enough and you actually look for evidence that backs that up, rather evidence that tells you you can't do it, you, you'll start to believe it yourself. And I look at someone like Jurgen Klopp at the moment and some of the things he was saying when he first took over at Liverpool, people chose to pick it apart. But actually, the players started to think about, actually, let's look for the evidence that's telling us what he's saying is right. And you just start to believe more and more and more. And, and that's what happened in that tournament, is that we went in there with a feeling we could win it, and we convinced ourselves that everything that happened was just more evidence that we're going to win it. So, mm. you know, we, we've just beaten Mexico. Well, I told you we are going to win this. That's a great win, that one. <laughs> well, look, now we've, we've come back from one goal behind. We've never done that before. I told you, hey, we said we were going to win it. And look, it's starting to fall into place. And obviously, come the semi-final then, you're, you're wholeheartedly in. And actually, that was probably our best performance at the tournament. We played brilliantly. Um, but you just didn't get the luck on the day. And, and yeah, you, you have huge regrets. You'll always look back and think, wow, we, we were, what, 90, 90 minutes and five seconds, maybe, from winning a World Cup. But... Again, you, you can't go back in time. We did our best. It was a significant achievement. And, um, yeah, something I'll always be proud of, really. That bronze medal will always take pride of place. Mark, very quick one. Do you think that sensational World Cup run almost transferred into the men's team in the 2018 World Cup where they came so close to, you know, going to the final? Well, I'm not sure we can take any credit for that. But, um <laughs> First and foremost, Gareth is a, a really excellent manager, um, really great guy, and, and he's done what a fantastic job he's done. But I think at the time with the FA, when I took over, I was lucky enough that there was quite a significant change. That There was a new technical director, a new director of performance. Gareth came in on the men's side not long after I started. And I think everyone just started looking at it in a very different way. And one of the biggest changes I felt within the team side of the organisation was that there was a real shift of focus from the X's and the O's, you know, we're obsessed with tactics and strategy, to a real focus on people and actually making sure that the England environment was an environment that people wanted to come into. Because there's, there's no doubt that at times that wasn't the case, you know. And I don't, I don't know the men's players at all, but I'm sure you're the same as football fans. You read books, you read autobiographies. You had Rio Ferdinand on yesterday, I'm sure, when he spoke, I heard. <laughs> you know, some of his experiences were far from positive when you consider what his Man United experience was like. I don't think that's just about winning. That's about creating a culture, an environment where people want to be part of. So I think that was the biggest change, really, across the team side, is that the culture shifted and suddenly playing for England became an opportunity, not a threat. People weren't scared of it. It was actually, I really want to be part of this team because... I enjoy the company of my teammates. I respect the manager. I enjoy working with them. And there's a sense of belief that we could do something special together. And I do feel that did play out in the 2018 World Cup with when Gareth and the team did so great. 
Yes, so you had an acrimonious exit from England and it you know, now comes to, to light that it was due to a safeguarding issue that was relating to Bristol. Um, obviously, you lost your role, but it's been found that you didn't really have a case to answer and the FA subsequently obviously came to an agreement with you. How do you feel now about the fact that you lost your role when you really didn't do anything wrong? I mean, look, that, that whole process was, was a difficult one. And obviously, post that, I, I took the legal actions you talked about to um, finally get some form of what I felt was, was justice in relation to that matter. Um, but, but look, I think at the time, there was so much else going on that maybe the position was untenable. Uh, and maybe I, I personally regret that probably... I didn't take it upon myself to step aside and make sure that other matters that were being dealt with that we've discussed in depth here were given the chance to be dealt with impartially while I was an employee of the employee of the organization. Um, but you know, that side of it, I can't go back and change. I was obviously pleased with, with the outcome of the, of the legal case and it gave me a platform to move forward. But at the time, like I said, that the role was, it wasn't right. that whole situation had got too big it'd been so poorly handled that no one really was able to move on um in a manner that was going to be right so for the wrong reasons but for the in but actually probably the right outcome is how i reflect on that situation fair play and then obviously mark on the uh, 4th of july 2019 uh, you're appointed as the uh, first team coach for for stevenage and, and, and at this point, did you feel that it was just uh, an opportunity for a fresh start, uh, fresh ideas and, and, and you know, just a, a new opportunity? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, I'd certainly taken my time. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I wasn't a victim, but they're, they're, and, and people suffered far more than me. But, you know, the, the emotional and the, the mental scars of a situation you go through like that are difficult to get over. And, and you just got to find yourself again. You got to real try and work out what 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 person are you? you know, mm. So much about yourself that you thought was you had been challenged, and you have to go look in the mirror and go, a lot of what I thought was me is it still me? Um, was that me? Was it not? What what type of person am I? And I think that took some time to challenge that, and and first and foremost make sure I was right to be a a father and a good member of my family, because. At the time, I found that difficult. I'd shut myself off from everything, really. Without going into depth, I was probably locked in the house for months, mm. too scared to go outside. And that was having an impact on my young daughter and family and friends at the time. So I had to get that right. But after that, there was probably a number of opportunities that I was offered that just didn't feel right, whether that be in a women's or the men's game. Um, but that opportunity just felt, felt right at the time. I, I wanted to cut my teeth in the men's game and give it a go in the football league. Always wanted to work in the men's professional game at some point, at first team level. Um, and and it's, a, it's a great club, really, really is. I, I'm not, I knew nothing about Steamage when I was first off of the job, but having spent nearly a year there now, it's some great people, amazing supporters. Uh, I, I've loved nearly every second of it, even though we've had some difficult times in terms of results on the field. Mm. Mark, later on um, in that year, there was another incident um, surrounding a race storm. And apparently um, what was reported that um, in coaching meetings, 
you were against like signing a Nigerian defender because you said you weren't comfortable with building your you know defense with a Nigerian player because they always make mistakes. What do you have to say about you know those alleged comments? Well, I think what was important for me to do was at that time how difficult it is, and you can imagine how challenging someone making that allegation against you could be, um, especially given my background and what had happened. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I, I knew from experience that you can only deal with it in one way, and that is professionally, honestly, openly, and going through the right channels. However much you want to might say, might want to say yourself at the time. So that's what I went about doing. The club were brilliant. They, they heard me from the outset. They heard the other people who were involved and they made their decision within weeks to say, we're clear what's happened here. Mark carries on as normal. Unfortunately for me, it was, it was an FA charge, um, which I challenged and was then, the case was dismissed. I think what's important to know is that once the FA charge an individual and it goes to the next stage of an appeal, less than 5% of those appeals are successful at that stage. So to be one of those 5%, I think, demonstrates how strong the evidence was and what the facts were. And, and for me now, it's just a matter of, again, doing the right things. I've, I've taken legal action against the, the people who made the allegation, mm -hmm. and, and we'll wait to see the outcome of that. But for me now, it's behind me, difficult phase of my career again. Um, but I've moved on, and, and luckily enough, the club stood by me. And I've enjoyed every second ever since. Yeah, so Mark, you made the comments that um, you believe people in the game have an axe to grind against you, probably namely Dino, Marmia and Ali. Um, how did you feel in that WhatsApp message when you were called a spineless cunt? Look, I think it's difficult for me to comment on all that in terms of, of where I am with the next stage. Um, but, but look, like I said, it, it was a hugely unsavoury incident. Um, given what's happened in modern day society and it's something that shouldn't have happened. Uh, I think I wished, obviously wish didn't happen. Um, but now you, again, I go back to those principles of you just try and do the right thing. You try and act in a, in a respectable way. And, and one of the best books I've ever re read actually was Michelle Obama's autobiography and, and one of her, famous sayings, isn't it? And when they go low, you go high. And I think that's, mm -hmm. that's what you can try and do. It's something I've learned that you, you just need to try and be the bigger person in the room and do the right thing. And I try to do that. I feel I've done that. And it's given me a chance now to move on from what was a difficult situation. Mark, do you ever feel that the involvement of the media um, isn't always sort of the, the, the best in, in that when sort of these incidents and, and, and these, um, you know, cases come up, it, you know, it, it, it's always quick to make the news uh, initially, but then sort of what happens subsequently isn't, you know, often uh, spoken about. So like you mentioned, you, your, you know, your, your case was um, one of the very, very few that actually, you know, uh, you know, uh, comes out on, on the positive end, but that's not so glamorized or spoken about in the media. Do you, do you, do you find that quite frustrating then that, you know, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's so widely discussed and spoken about in, in terms of the negative side of things, but then when you, once you're acquitted, there's, there's, you know, it's, 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 it's almost uh, uh, whispered. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, it's a difficult situation, isn't it? In terms of, of the media at the moment, I think there's a, just in society, really, I think with social media and everything, it feels like people want to see others suffer and, and fail. Mm -hmm. um, and, and those 
the recovery stories or the positive stories don't don't sell as many newspapers but again it's something you just you, you can't control and i think if you let things you can't control affect you in a negative way you, you're never going to be happy in life and it's something i can't control yeah. all i can control is, is how i react to things um but yeah it's definitely something that you'd like to think um could be handled better in the future but also there you know there's some big issues to raise and, and i go back to i think you know the word education is is a, a word that I think people in my era and, and even a lot of young people or older people have bad experiences of what education is sat in the classroom listening. But, but ultimately, that, that is the key, isn't it? It's about education. It's about people understanding things that they had little understanding about before. Yeah, so Mark, um, obviously you've had a lot of controversy surrounding you in your career. Um, so what's been the mental toil? Because people forget that you're actually a human being. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges that you've gone through during all of these court cases, during all of the bad press you've been getting? How has it been being Mark Sampson? Yeah, I mean, look, there's been some difficult times. I'm not, <laughs> not going to lie. Um, but again, it, it you have to just make sure that you're reflecting on um, who you want to be. And, and you've got responsibilities. Like I said, I've got a family, I've got a wider range of friends and a group of people who have always been critical and core to my life. And I was as mature as I was back then. And you do. Mm. I remember a time when, when it all started to get really serious and, and difficult for a lot of people that you would spend hours and it sounds horrible, but you, you, know, you type your name into Google, you type your name into Twitter, you type your name into whatever other social media out there is there. And you, wow I mean the people people are saying these things about you and you know you're not the only person reading that you know that people you care about are reading that when you hear your your family mention things that you go well there's only one way you know that's been said and that's because you're trawling things as much as me and that that is always the most difficult thing is that as a person you deal with that yourself and you think I'll get through this I can be resilient but when it affects the people you love and care about that that's tough. That is really, really tough. Um, and, and you look back and say, do you know what? The people who put themselves in those high profile positions, there's a lot of extra factors that go with that. Yeah, there's some monetary reward, but all the other bits that go with it, the negative bits can, can really be challenging at times. And I think we're seeing it more and more now, aren't we? Not just with the sports people, but even the, the reality TV stars and all the, the situations we've seen going there that, you know, it, it seems great from afar as a young person. I want to be this, I want, but actually there's, there's a lot more to it. And I think those challenges can be really, really difficult at times. Sorry, do you, do you almost think, you know, some of the stick that you got online made you realise how painful words can be at times? Without, without a shadow of a doubt, I think. And, and, and that, was, that was part of the process of understanding the difference between, like I said, is that, you know, your, your thought process is very different to the person you're communicating with. Um, although the intention of what you're saying you feel is, is positive, is healthy, is good, is, is there to support and help people. And I think that was always the difficult part is that I've always prided myself on being someone who tries to get the best out of people and tries to make people feel better about themselves. So when, someone saying that actually what you said made me feel the opposite way 
that that's really difficult to hear and and it did take me a long time to understand what had been said had had such difficult ramifications for the person who was receiving that information so without a shadow of a doubt now is that i go back to it it's, it's that education that that ability to just take a deep breath and understand that we've all been through different things I, I, I don't know any of your guys backgrounds and you don't know much about mine other than what you read a bit on wikipedia from 25 <laughs> onwards um, so absolutely of course and and you just then realize now is that because of these platforms are out there it it's difficult and we have it's even more emphasis on everyone in society really to just think about what they're saying whatever you say about someone that is a human being you're speaking to and i think having that ability to take a step back to think about how they might interpret what you're saying is going to be critical to us all moving forward let alone myself so yeah mark before we wrap up um obviously it's been recently announced that phil neville will be stepping down from his post so how would you assess the job that he's done taking over from you and who would you say should be the next person appointed for the England managerial post. Uh, talk is, it about your, is it yourself, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> I think the, look, Phil, I actually um, spent a lot of time with Phil on a pro license um, back in, in 2017, 2016. And Phil's a really, really good, honest, hardworking guy. And I think the intention he had when he went in the job was to take them from where they were to the next level. But, that is a big step. It sounds a small step going from third to first, but that's a big step. You know, in fact, Liverpool have been trying to win the Premier League for 30, 30 years. It's, and they've always been there and thereabouts, haven't they? But actually getting from, I'm sorry to a Liverpool fan, um, third <laughs> to, to first. Two on the podcast, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a follower. I'm a Cardiff fan, but I'm a follower. Uh, I, hope, I hope they win it this year. If they don't, crossed. they might never. Um, but I think to get that, that even like I said, it sounds like a small jump, but, but it's a big jump. And I think Phil has, has done his utmost to try and bridge that gap. But, you know, it just hasn't quite got to where he probably wanted to. But, but ultimately, he took the team to a semi-final of a World Cup, which there's not many teams who've done that. I think there's, there's obviously Gareth in 2018, uh, 66. And I think us, I think they're the four England teams who have got to a semi-final. So it's, it's not something that should be looked at in a negative way. And the, per- the next person who gets the job, I just hope they can take that team from where they are to that gold medal spot. Because so who should it be? Should it be Emma Hayes? <clears throat> I mean, I, good question. You have to ask the FA. Um, but, but I think what's important is that the person who gets the job really believes they can, they can take it on. The players mm. buy into them. And ultimately, everyone gets behind them. Because yeah. a man, if you, if you tie a manager's arm behind their back, they got no chance. You know, it's important. Whoever gets the job, everyone gets behind them from the outset. Because if an England women's team can win a gold medal at a European Championships, a World Cup or Olympics, that, that will always be the platform that the women's game will look back on that can take to the next level. So whoever it is, I think there's a lot of people hoping that they can make that next step and then the women's game can really get to a level where everyone can look at it and say, wow, they've come a real long way. And they have. But that next step's the toughest one. So whoever gets it, I really wish them all the best. Yeah, absolutely. Mark. <laughs> Thank it's you very been much, a pleasure. Mark. Yeah. You, you know what, Mark? We've, um, we've obviously spent this time looking back at, you know, your career, the early days, you know, how you, you, you started off in the game and, 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 you know, 
of course, what you're, you're up to at the moment. Um, now looking ahead, you've obviously, I mean, you, you are still very young uh, in terms of, you know, be, being a manager. You've got your whole career still ahead of you. Um, in terms of the future and what the future has to hold for you, what, um, what things have you learned from your, your experiences to date that you will look to um, uh, sort of draw from um, going forward in, in, in you know, your, your role at the moment at, at Stevenage and subsequent roles in, later on in your career? I think there's a lot of lessons I've, I've talked about probably in the last 40 minutes or an hour or so, but I think one of the, one of the biggest ones I've learned about is, is, how, is making sure you always have a balance. I think as a young person, I was always fiercely ambitious and was, was the word I'd probably use was obsessed with getting to the top quickly um, getting to, to prove people wrong. When, when you're not a player in football, you're always a little bit out of the loop. It's always a bit, well, you know, he didn't play the game, so what does he know? And, and I found that very difficult at a young age on coaching courses and in general when doors were shut quickly. But I became obsessed, really, with proving people wrong and, and, and sacrificed a lot um, to get where I got. But I think now I'll always move forward with always that sense of balance. And when you become a father, that, that changes you forever in so many ways, but certainly as a coach, because you, you just ultimately always ask yourself the question, would I want this coach coaching my daughter in this way? That's coach being me. So any person I work with in the future and even now, I'll always be thinking, well, actually, even if I've got to be critical, is it in a fair and honest way? And, and would I, if a coach, if my daughter told me their coach had said or done this, could I say, actually, I understand what they're trying to do. And actually, I, I get their intention to sort of help and make, make it more enjoyable, help you get better. So that's probably been the biggest one, a balance uh, and just a general overview and understanding more of, of outside of football, what life is about and what, what type of human being you need to be really to, to get the best out of yourself and also become a better coach and manager. But yeah, you're right. I, I feel like 98, but I'm only 30. I'm 37 actually, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, who, who knows what the future holds, but I'll take mm. it day by day and, and make sure I've always got that balance, that's for sure. Mark, final one from me. With all of the controversy that's happened throughout your career, will you still be open to making a return to the women's game? I think you never, you never say never. Um, and, and ultimately, the, the decision would be with someone else to give you the opportunity. Um, and like I said, it, there was the opportunity at times to go back at a national level or a domestic level. But I, I just didn't feel it, it was right at the time. Um, but who knows what the future holds? You know, for all I know, um, we might get relegated this season and uh, I'm, I'm working outside of football doing something else. Um, I'm back to being a full-time, I'd love that, be back to being a full-time dad, best job I've ever had. Um, <laughs> but who knows what the future holds? I'm just excited to, to get better day by day and, and see what the future brings. Like I said, football's brought me so many great memories, amazing pals, amazing experiences as a fan, as a coach, as a player. Wouldn't swap them for the world with all the negative things in there. So I just hope I get a few more before, before my time to finish is up. Mark, and it's a massive, massive um, thank you for, for coming onto the yeah. platform. And we respect yeah. you for, for coming on and speaking so honestly. So thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, thanks Mark. Gents. Thank no, you, I, we I appreciate really enjoyed it. it. Appreciate your time and respect your questions, honesty. And good luck with everything. Like I said, I've listened thank to a few. It's got me through a good walk by guest there, the Rio Ferdinand uh, interview. Uh, so I'll <laughs> definitely be uh, 
be a fan now for the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Mark. And, and thank you to, to all of our listeners and viewers for listening in up until this point in time. Just a reminder, if you're not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, make sure you do the Beautiful Game podcast on YouTube. Um, also follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore TVG and on Instagram at pod underscore TVG. And a quick reminder that you can listen to our episodes also on Spotify, SoundCloud and on Apple Podcasts as well. And if you are listening in on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you leave a five-star review because your engagement helps us build and develop the platform uh, for us to continue to deliver episodes like this. So we hope you guys enjoyed it um, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Over and out. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.